Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we are breaking down a 2-0 start for the Giants for the first time since 2016. They held off the Panthers 19-16 at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey on Sunday. And multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can find us on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. And a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll break down the game from many different angles. And, Paul, I want to start with the defense because I was looking through the numbers a little bit more closely, and the Panthers put together that go-ahead touchdown drive to begin the third quarter for them. Three plays, 67 yards, as Baker Mayfield was able to hit D.J. Moore right corner of the end zone. Cordell Flott was defending. He slipped, but the bottom line is Moore had a step on him. Then after that, Carolina had five possessions. It ended with four punts and a field goal. So they had 20 plays for 90 total yards. And remember, Christian McCaffrey's 45-yard run accounted for half of those 90 yards. So that means the other 19 plays only accounted for 45 yards. To me... That sums up how effective the defense was in really, I would say, setting the tone throughout the entire game. Because, Paul, you could say it was a tale of two halves like the Tennessee game, but the defense was far more consistent from start to finish in comparison to maybe what we saw in week one. And I thought the Giants walked away with a victory yesterday as impressive as Graham Gano's leg was and the ability for the Giants to run the ball down the stretch to run out the clock and not give... Carolina's offense, the ball back, the defense getting the job done and flustering Baker, to me, was most significant in getting the W yesterday. You know, it's funny, Lance. There's only one number that would make you disappointed as a coordinator, and that's McCaffrey ran for 102 yards on 15 carries. Yep. Every other defensive statistic was absolutely glorious if you are Wink Martindale, starting with the 2-for-12 on third-down conversions by Carolina. I mean, (laughs) look, there are two key words from Wink Martindale's defense. Number one is attack. Number two is confusion. And if he's able to do one of those, he's got an upper hand. If he can do both of those, which is what he did primarily after Carolina had had tied the score, uh, you now know you've got a good chance to, uh, to come out of there with a win. And that's what they did. And I, I can't say enough about him, his confidence, his coaching up, and his staff, by the way. Let's not just put this all on Wink. Let's always talk about the staff, too, because it's a team effort from top to bottom. Think about how Cordell Flott played over 70% of the snaps, okay, at, at corner, on the boundary, after missing how much time during training camp? Almost half? All right, with a groin? Think about Dane Belton, who had a fractured collarbone at the beginning of training camp, hadn't played a snap during the preseason, then comes back to practice in a red jersey where he can't be contacted, 
And then all of a sudden, oh, guess what? You're going to start in the three safety package as the deep safety and play 70 plus up percent of the snaps. And yet they only gave up one pass play of more than 20 yards. Just think about that for a second. Oh, oh, oh yeah, let's throw in. You don't have Thibodeau. You don't have Ojolari. Your two best edge rushers. And by the way, truthfully, either your best or second best defensive player, depending upon how you grade Xavier McKinney, Leonard Williams goes out of the game midway through the third quarter with a knee injury. Think about that for just a second. A lot of movable parts. Holy smokes. What a tremendous job done by this this coaching staff, specifically the defensive staff. And Lance, before we say anything else, I'm going to say it again this week. I said it in week one. The Giants coaching staff outcoached the Titans folks, and they just outcoached the Panthers folks. Well, I think your point about getting the team prepared and guys to step up and play is, to me, the most important takeaway because you had Aaron Robinson get an appendectomy, and now all of a sudden you're throwing a guy into the mix that forget the injuries that sidelined him during camp. He only played special team snaps in week one. So this was really his come-to-the-NFL-welcome-to-the-big-stage moment type of scenario, and he held his own for the most part, as did Dane Belton, who was needed because what Wink did was he used a lot of safeties as linebackers yesterday. I mean, McKinney even talked about this, Paul, after the game, that his assignment was to follow Christian McCaffrey and make sure that McCaffrey didn't really dictate the tone of the game. And outside of the 45-yard run, McCaffrey still had a productive game, but similar to Derrick Henry, who had the 18-yard run, if you recall, in week one, there wasn't any of those back-breaking type of plays. The damage type of plays where you just can't seem to regroup and recover. So while the 45-yard run was big and the the Panthers were able to obviously capitalize with some points, at the end of the day, you just didn't feel as if McCaffrey ruined the game. And if you could do that when you're going up against a dynamic player like that, that's mission accomplished. He could get his yardage, but the question is, does the yardage translate to points on the scoreboard? And McCaffrey's production, as you mentioned, that jumps off the page maybe as a negative, the Panthers only scored 16 points yesterday. So you can live with McCaffrey getting 100 yards on the ground if all of a sudden the total at the end of the day is only going to be 16. Well, when he goes four catches for only 26... I mean, that's that's the flip side to that coin. Look, last Wednesday, when I got on here and said Wink Martindale's going to use a three-safety package, or at least he should, and he should spy McCaffrey with one of those safeties, I will confess, I did not think it was going to be McKinney. Okay? I did not. I thought it would be Jefferson and maybe an outside chance that Belton would be that guy. That's not what he did. He wound up, as you say, mostly using McKinney. Had Love in the box a lot, too. In fact, Love, of course, had the sack on the blitz at at the end of the game when he brought him down low. The point was, he had Belton playing center field the whole game. Wow! Think about that. I mean, when you're the center fielder, you're the safety valve to to prevent the bomb, right? You're the last last line of defense to help out somebody on a big play downfield. You know what kind of responsibility that puts on Belton's shoulders coming right out of the box? That's more of a reason why it's helpful given his resume in college. Something tells me if he didn't have that experience at Iowa where he was that hybrid type mm-hmm. of player, I don't know if this early in his career Wink would put him in that spot. Paul. You know what it else says about the, about the, these guys, though, Lance? This goes back to the Shane Dable philosophy about smart players. They, they want guys who are football smart coming into the league. And then, okay, well, we can coach those guys up, but the fact is they've got a football smarts foundation. And you're right. Not only did Belton have experience of playing all over the place at, at Iowa, but clearly the intelligence factor of being able to, to receive the coaching up from these guys after only being on the practice field for about two weeks – that's that's a pretty impressive deal. 
One other player that I think deserves some credit is O'Shane Zimenez. You mentioned no Thibodeau, no Ojolari for the second straight game. And Zimenez continues to make his presence felt. He had a sack in this game. He was very active. You know, him and Jihad Ward over the first two weeks with those guys sidelined have been extremely valuable because while they were missing key ingredients of the secondary, I would say the bigger devastating blow, Paul, is you're missing your top two pass rushers. Yeah. And you're going up against, forget the ability of maybe Baker Mayfield and Ryan Tannehill to make plays with some of the receivers around them. Those guys who get after the quarterback are still critical in helping you stop the run because in route to getting to the quarterback, sometimes your defense is designed that they also need to help in run support. And the fact that you did not have any of those two guys in the first two games, but Zimenez and Ward, I don't want to say Major completely forget about those guys because we're still going to obviously talk about their value, but soften the blow, I guess, is the best way that I would put it. And Zimenez is also somebody that has dealt with injuries, has not had a lot of playing time. I mean, heck, Paul, he got his first sack since 2019 when he was a rookie, and that was a few years removed. So it just goes to show you that this coaching staff is also, going back to your initial point, tapping into some players that maybe in the previous regime didn't get an opportunity or just couldn't stay healthy on the field, but yet they're giving them another chance here. I mentioned it to you on the postgame show yesterday, and I'll say it one more time. Zimenez is a classic example of a guy who may have had a learning curve and made some mistakes. And the previous staffs would kind of push him to the side when that happened. Zimenez has expressed to me how much confidence he has and how much the coaching staff believing in him has allowed him to play better. Because what we're seeing with this coaching staff in particular, and it does separate them from the previous regimes, they look at young players and they say, okay, you make a mistake, we get it. We know there's a, a, a an inexperienced rookie curve here. We'll coach you up. It's okay. Make that mistake. Learn from it. Let's see how you respond. In previous editions of coaching staffs, we've seen guys make mistakes and basically get pushed to the side. They would get buried. And, and that... I, I can't say how invaluable this coaching staff is to the younger players on this roster. And Lance, that becomes all the more critical, as you have said for months, how the Giants not only need this rookie class to perform, but the second and third year players to continue to, to, uh, to grow and to reach their potential. And that's why Zimenez fits right under that umbrella. So those are some of the highlights, at least from the defensive side of the ball. As far as the offense is concerned, once again, it was a very different second half compared to the first half, similar to the Tennessee game. And even with that being said, the Giants only scored 19 points. Graham Gano did a lot of the heavy lifting with four field goals, two from 50-plus yards, including the game winner. It turned out to be from 56 yards out. But... The rushing attack, while not nearly as impressive, Paul, as week one against Tennessee, they had eight carries for no yards in the first half, and three of their eight runs were negative. In the second half, they wound up producing 103 yards. So that clearly is an impressive turnaround. But I'm going to put the numbers aside. I think what was most important about the rushing attack yesterday is when the game was on the line, late in the game, you needed to get in field goal range. You were able to run the ball. Barkley had consecutive runs of 10 yards and eight runs, respectively. And then you get the ball back. Carolina still has enough time where if they make a stop, they can have one more shot at maybe tying the game or winning it on a touchdown. And you don't allow the offense for the Panthers to get back on the field. Why? Because you were able to convert as a result of Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley again. So timely runs, to me, is the best way to describe the rushing attack. Overall, nowhere near the Tennessee game in terms of impact and big runs volume-wise, but critical time, game on the line, they got the job done. And sometimes you need to win ugly and you need to grind it out, and I think that's probably a, the best way to describe how the offense went about its business yesterday. How much do I relish old-school football? You know, on the, the game-winning drive... 11 plays, 8 runs. 8 runs. Think about that, folks. 8 runs on the 11-play drive. 
that culminated in Gano's winning field goal. And then when they get the ball back with just over two minutes to go, they run the ball five consecutive times, capped by Jones scrambling up the middle. Now, again, I know he had dropped back and he had a scramble, but it still wound up being a running play. counts as a run. It's a running play. Five consecutive runs, and that first down then iced it where they had a kneel to finish it off. Just think about that. The Giants relied on their O-line and their running game to finish out the game, to get the lead and to finish it out, just like they relied on their O-line and their running game last week to win the game. That's twice in a row. Does anybody else need to be convinced about how important an O-line and a running game is? Do, do, do we still have any doubters out there? Well, I think we've echoed those sentiments on this program over the course of several seasons. What we have also echoed is at least, I always love this phrase, Paul, going back to the first half, turnovers are great, right? But it's all about what you do with them. And There was a huge opportunity early in this game for the Giants to build some comfort and some wiggle room because on the opening kickoff, Shuba Hubbard fumbled the ball. Carter Coughlin made a nice play. And then later, Robbie Anderson coughed up the football. So the Giants got excellent field position right out of the gates. You get one drive that starts on the Carolina 22, another one that starts at the Carolina 40, and you settle for a pair of field goals. And that's where all of a sudden Carolina's feeling great about itself and they go into the locker room 6-6 saying, how the heck is this a tie game when we gave two gifts to the Giants to essentially maybe run away with things? So, you know, those are areas of the game where you put a lot of pressure on your defense and to the defense's credit, the defense did a great job against the Panthers in the second half. But when you go up against more talented teams, Paul, as the season progresses, you get the ball deep in the opponent's territory, you've got to be able to walk away with touchdowns, especially when you're going up against an offense that is going to be able to solve your defense, is going to be able to get maybe beyond the 20-point tally, which then puts a little bit more of the onus and pressure on your offense. Yeah, let's play Giants coaching staff for a second because they've got corrections to make. And you pointed out the number one correction. You get those two turnovers, how do you not at least come out of there with 10 points? One touchdown and one field goal has to be your minimum, doesn't it? Sure. All right. I, I, if you don't get two touchdowns, fine. But you got to get well, one Well, that should be one. your goal regardless. Sure. But you'll take sure. one of the two. Correct. 50% but, is but fine. But you can't. You cannot come away with less than 10 points on those two turnovers. So, so that's unacceptable. And that put themselves, in my opinion, even though they had the, 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 two, the two field goals to take a 6 nothing lead, I'm thinking right away, okay, that's that's a deficit. You've already left so you've left more points on the board than you've scored. That's never good. So so let's get something straight. This game was far from perfect, just like week one was far from perfect. Yep. And that's why I'm not going to sit here and gloat over the fact that over sixty percent of two and O teams have made the playoffs in the last how many whatever twenty years in the NFL. I'm not going to do that. Long season. This team has a long way to go and a lot more to improve on before we start talking about how competitive they're going to be in this division. But it's a hell of a good start because there are a bunch of arrows pointing in the right direction that will help you gain momentum as that snowball rolls downhill and you try to improve your club. But they absolutely have things that need to be fixed, and that's one of them. The penalties has also got to be another. Can I pick on those for a minute? Sure. Eight penalties for 62 yards, Lance. Second straight week, by the way, they had eight penalties. Not that good. That were accepted. Not yeah. good. Not good. Yeah. And and one of them was in the red zone. Yep. Can't. I mean, you know, that's self-destructive stuff. And Darnay Holmes had one on the last Panthers possession where the Giants' defense regrouped because Love had a sack. But what happened, remember, on the final Tennessee drive? Darnay Holmes also had a penalty. Then there was another one, and Tennessee got in field goal range. So it didn't come back to bite them in this week's game. You could argue it came back to bite them a little bit against Tennessee. Randy Bullock missed the field goal. So that sort of covered up. Yeah. And we're not talking about the penalty, but that also is something that you don't want to see that trend continue and carry out. All right. And the other thing you got to hop on a little bit, 
And again, I'm nitpicking here, but this stuff needs to be fixed if you want to be one of the better teams in the league. Three sacks. I mean, sure. I mean, honestly, you know, you don't want, I mean, multiply three over 17 weeks. I mean, it was five last week. If you just went with three every week, that still comes out to 51 sacks for the season. That's, you know, you got to do better. And speaking of that, let's focus on that a little bit. It seems like a lot of the pressure came from the interior, which is understandable. I mean, the Panthers do have some big boys up front. Brian Burns, their edge rusher, the Pro Bowler last season, had two of the three sacks. Now, they were rotating left guard again. We saw Ben Bredesen, and we saw Joshua Zudu for the second straight game like that. And Zudu, once again, had his ups and downs early in the game and you know, rode the wave just like he did against Tennessee. I wonder if we're going to get to a point, and maybe this depends on Shane Lemieux's health moving forward, where I'm sure in an ideal world, Bobby Johnson, as well as Brian Dable, would love to just stick with one guy. If I'm Andrew Thomas, I'd rather play next to one guard. Same thing with John Feliciano. But Izudu, the reason I bring up the rotation is it's not an excuse, Paul. And I was talking about this with Carl Banks on the postgame show yesterday. You can't be naive. First two games, never played on the NFL level. You can tell me all you want. North Carolina moved them around. Speed, talent level you're going up against night and day. I'm saying to myself, that's got to be contributing to him not necessarily getting into the flow of the game immediately because he's in and out of the lineup throughout the contest. Yeah, absolutely. And see, this is the other thing that I like about what this coaching staff did. I know we want to get to the calls, but here, let, let me just point out one thing. Even though Flott, and Azudu have played now in these first two weeks a significant number of snaps because even like Moreau played some of, of flat snaps yesterday. Not a yep. ton, but a few. Here's what this coaching staff does. The young guy gets in. They see he's got problems with a certain thing. Okay? He gets burned on a pass rush or he gets burned on a, on a pass completion. So what do they do? They bring him off to the side for the next series and they sit him down and they coach him up. Okay, this is why it happened, all right? Don't let this happen again, or this is what they're going to try to do to you. Or for that matter, it simply could be don't worry about it, okay? Forget about it. Move on to the next play. I know you got it. We coached that up during the week. I know you'll do better on the next snap. So what happens? Those guys go back out onto the field, and now they either have the knowledge, the experience, or maybe some of both, plus the confidence to say, all right, let me go do better. This is the growing process. This is what Dable talks about when he says, this is a process. This is what it's all about. And guys like Azudu and Flot are going to be better for these experiences. What you hope as a team is that your rookie mistakes won't be fatal, that the other team won't take advantage of those rookie mistakes, or that the rookie mistakes will be small enough that it doesn't cost you a game. Because eventually, if the guys are any good, those rookie mistakes will turn into positive reinforcement as those guys become veterans. And, hey, they rotated offensive linemen even in the previous regime, too. So, I mean, this is not something that is unknown to the NFL landscape. Other yeah, but it was a different reason. Too. No, sure, it was they a different They rotated reason. line because they had a bunch of veterans who really weren't very good, and they had no idea on how they were going to get the job done. That's different than sampling uh, snaps for a young player to give him some room to grow and then just bringing him out to give him a breather and to, to kind of get let him catch his breath. It's a totally different philosophy and a different reason why it was done. One last thing I want to get to before we open up the lines, and I'm sure we're going to get probably tweets and questions, so that's why I wanted to get to this, is the snap count with respect to the wide receivers. And, Paul, you and I, we talked about this. Actually, I think it was on Friday's program, I want to say, because we got questions about Kadarius Toney only playing seven snaps in week one, and we emphasized, just like the defenders that we went over earlier in the show, it's going to fluctuate game to game based on strategy, based on the packages of the plays that they throw out there. So Kenny Galladay, it's documented, only had two snaps. David Sills got a lot more work this week, and Tony also got more work because he played 28 snaps. Be prepared week to week. The numbers are going to change. 
That's just how this coaching staff, how this team is going to operate. So I know a lot of people are going to be like, what's up with Kenny Galladay? This is not a scolding. This is not a punishment. You're going to see some weeks player A is going to be heavily involved in the game plan. Then the following week, maybe not necessarily the case. The other thing that Dable emphasized in his postgame presser, Paul, was he's treating it like a competition every single week. These guys, they're going out in practice. He's evaluating them, and he wants to see which wide receivers perform consistently in practice, execute the plays, and that will determine also who they're going to utilize in what package, how much playing time they're going to get. He even said he walked over to David Sills during the week and said, David, your number is going to be called this week. You're up. So that's also probably going to play out and dictate who gets on the field moving forward here. Final thought on this uh, before you go to the phones, Lance, and that comes down to integrity. This is a coaching staff that is very forthright in what their plan is and what they're going to do and how they're going to use players. They tell those players eye-to-eye, face-to-face, nose-to-nose, this is how it's going to work, okay? If you earn it and you do what you do, nothing else matters, this is what you're going to get. And that's the one thing that I keep hearing about from players in the locker room, guys like Zimenez, guys like Roche even, who's on the practice squad and was elevated in week one. Um, These guys are telling me they love the honesty and the forthright approach of this staff. They say what they mean, they do what they say, and the players appreciate those actions because they know exactly where they stand at all times. And once again, I, I have to say, I'm not trying to slam anybody prior, but you don't always get that specific clarity at all times from all coaches in this league. It's just not the way it works. You hear the phrase very often, we're going to play the best players, we're going to play the guys that can execute And there's a lot of his lip service. Correct, because we're not naive. Sometimes contract dictates playing time or what management says and so forth. But Brian Dable has made it clear going back to training camp. And so far through the first two games, you know, that hasn't been, as you mentioned, Paul, lip service. That has been 100% the game plan that they have followed from that standpoint. That's more of a reason why I wanted to make that message clear. I would not read into it because what he has said previously has actually come to fruition. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. Let's open up the lines, but before we do that, a few reminders. Giants fans, make sure you're at MetLife Stadium for the upcoming home game. Monday, September 26th, the Giants will host the rival Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football. A special Ring of Honor ceremony is going to take place during halftime. Limited individual and group tickets are available. You can visit Giants.com tickets to secure your seat today. Then the Giants official connected TV streaming app, Giants TV, is bringing you original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV is free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. You can also listen to this program on the Giants mobile app. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay. So you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah. Like, check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, <laughs> hey, hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? try to act like they, you know what I mean. Yeah. But I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So, what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self, and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's open up the line. Sam is in Pennsylvania. He joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Sam? What's happening, Lance? What's happening, Pauly D? It's a great Monday, week two, uh, as a Giants fan. Um, Just want to continue what you guys were talking about with the the outright 
transparency that this culture, uh, this coaching staff has had. Um, from the very beginning, the coaching staff and even uh, Shane has been talking about the type of players that they're looking for and the vision they have for this team about player mindset first. And then in training camp, we saw how they were going to talk about, you know, competition, the best players are going to be on the field. We saw that in game one against Tennessee. They were handing the ball to their best player, Saquon. He took it upon his shoulders. Um, You know, um, Jones didn't have the best of games, but he stepped up when he needed to step up. And when we saw Saquon make that two-point conversion, and how him and Shepard come over and celebrate, and you can see all the years of frustration pouring out in that shot. That was a confirmation that they were going to be behind Dave's and that coaching staff from here on out. The best piece of that was it started the belief fire in that locker room and in that building. The next thing that I saw then was in this week, When Daniel took the Giants down, he, I think, had a play in that drive where he didn't quite make the best read, and then Gano comes in and knocks a beautiful long-range kick. Dabes comes over after they make that kick and shakes Daniel's hand. I don't think we've ever seen that in the past regimes. He is letting his quarterback know, hey, we probably could have gotten better, but we got points on the board, and it starts with you. I think that also lit a fire in Daniel Jones behind because they gave him the ball again in that final drive with the play call that they designed. It was a naked boot with several options, and one of the options was for Daniel to keep it and run. And that's what he did, got the first down. Daves is holding everybody accountable, and he's bringing everybody to the table. It's not a Daves-only show. It's a Daves-wink special teams, and it's all centered around these players. The proof is in the pudding. The arrows are pointing in the right direction for the Giants. It's beautiful that we're 2-0. But the best part of this Monday is that we are trending in the right direction with the players that we have, and they're young. The, the, the point of it with the young players are is they're learning with live rounds. Okay, We had Slot out there. He slipped. There were a couple plays that he let up. They pulled him off. They got him straightened out, put him back out there. Same with... Our, our tackles. These guys are learning with live rounds. There's no better teacher than Sunday and Monday and Thursday now. Uh, snaps. And the coaches know this. What's your thoughts on that? Well, like, everything you just yeah. said uh, pretty much wraps up how we've spent the first half hour. I appreciate you listening <laughs> to us because it's obvious that uh, that you see you see things clearly. And, and, and you're right in terms of the 2-0 is great. But the fact that this team is trending upwards is really the most significant part of the whole thing. And, Sam, appreciate the phone call. The other thing that I think is important to note is they're finding through two games different ways to win. When you play highly contested games, Paul, you can't just think the same guy is going to be the hero every single week and we just lean on Daniel, we lean on Barkley. So that's important, especially when you're coming down to the thick of things every single game, but also you're seeing contributions from the defense. You're seeing contributions from the offense. Special teams, they get the forced fumble, the fumble recovery, Graham Gano, the return game in week one against Tennessee, the muff punt recovery. So, you know, that to me is also a sign of the guys understanding that, hey, if one facet of the team slips up, don't worry about it. We got you covered. There's been a true display to me of complimentary football through the first two weeks of the season because we're not pointing to just one area of this team, taking the entire squad, putting them on their shoulders and their back and carrying them. We're talking about different areas over the course of a section of a game or maybe in crunch time actually sealing it. And one of those areas that has developed over the first two weeks is Barkley getting dirty yards. Okay, let's let's not let's not forget giving him a bouquet of flowers here too, because twenty something carries, seventy something yards, and I think he only had one carry of longer than eight yards in the game. I mean, say the ten yard run. That's it, right? He well, he had he had, uh, he had a sixteen yard run, I Correct. think, and that's yep. the longest one, right? 
Yeah, I have. I mean, they had. So he, had he had a 16 and a 10. There was a 10 in there, too. I'm forgetting. There was now. a 10. Well, because the I 10 thought there and was the another 8 came consecutively. Okay. Those were two Barkley runs on one of the second half drives. And, and that's important. That's actually very important because the Barkley critics kept saying he can't do that. It's not in him. And what, what we've tried, or at least I certainly tried to tell people, is the combination of the injuries. And the combination of not having faith and trust and confidence in his offensive line caused Barkley to become more of a dancer than he needed to be or wanted to be. And once they got that squared away, you would see how deadly this guy is, how dangerous this guy is, and how complete a back that he will be. And here it is now with this rebuilt offensive line that, by the way, still, I mean, it's about as liquefied as Jello right now, Lance. These guys are not solidified yet, but he already is showing faith and confidence in them. And this goes back to no matter how much we talk about this coaching staff, their philosophies, their transparencies, their trust factor, their teaching factor, all of these things are great. But the bottom line is there's also some more talent on this roster because players still play the game. Let's head back to the lines. Doug is in New York. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Doug? Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought up O'Shane Zimenez. Um, when when he actually had a great game, when when Thibodeau and uh, Ojulari come back, they'll probably be on a snap count, right? So they'll probably still have to use, at least for in the first two or three games, use Oche and Zimenez a lot. So what do you think about that, Paul? Well, I think that uh, uh, once Ojolari and Thibodeau are cleared, I, I suspect unless it's a conditioning issue, that they'll be full go. But but here's what I will tell you. Don't be shocked if, the, if Wink Martindale – is as happy with O'Shane Zimenez as he has expressed. Don't be shocked if you see Thibodeau, Ojolari, and Zimenez on the field at the same time. Imagine that. I mean, he, he could do some pretty confusing things moving those three pieces around. Well, plus Zimenez, I mean, he didn't play the entire game. He played 60% of the snaps. So, I mean, even if it's cut down a little bit, could he get to 45% of the snaps even with Thibodeau and Ojolari back? Yeah. I don't think he's going to be completely phased out of the equation because, if anything, he proves to Wink that he could trust him and that, to your point, Paul, in certain situations, he can maybe have him also on the field with Thibodeau and Ojolari, or if he wants to give Ojolari and Thibodeau a breather, that the level of play and execution is not going to fall off tremendously because he already did it when those two guys weren't even available. So, yeah, I think maybe a snap count takes a slight hit, but I don't think he completely disappears from the rotation, if that's what you're pointing to. No, I mean, let's face it. He's earned it, hasn't he, Lance? 100%. And that's more of a reason why they're telling these guys that appreciate the phone call when somebody's hurt and you get your opportunities, you better capitalize because once those guys come back and they're certainly the heavy lifters and the heavy hitters, you don't know how much of a role you're going to carve out. But if you can do the job to the way that they laid out and you could be effective, they have a reason to keep you on the field. See, and I think ha- Zimenez has proven that. What happens is if you're a Zimenez and you play well, in this situation with the guys sidelined, you now force Wink to use you more and get more creative to figure out ways that he can get you on the field even when guys come back. Really, that's 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 what it is. You you put the burden now on the coach and say, hey, coach, look. Look what I've done for you. you you're going to have to find ways to get me on the field. And then it's up to Wink to start drawing up new plays and figure out how can I use everybody because they're all doing good. Sure. Well, also, I'm looking at the snap counts from yesterday, and not to say that there weren't players that constantly stayed on the field. I mean, McKinney, Love, and Adoree Jackson played 100% of the snaps. And I think that's going to stay, by the way. (laughs) Well, well, but that was also because Wink's game plan was a big part of utilizing safeties, too. Let's not forget about that. But I don't see a bunch of defensive linemen and linebackers getting 90-some-odd percent of the snaps. So my point is, I think Zimenez still has a role even when Thibodeau and Ojolari come back based on how he divvies up the playing time. Let's head back to the lines. Otis is in Harlem joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Otis? 
How you doing, Lance? How you doing, John? Uh, it's Paul. Uh, That's who's with me. Oh, yes. oh, That's oh, all right. Yes. But Paul's been I, called worse, so it's okay. I have. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No I, problem. Oh, good. No worries. That's just strike one. You still got two left. Please go. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, how, what's, uh, I know y'all talked about Kim What's Is it just a week-to-week thing, or is it... Is he is his practice bad or what? What's what's the deal with him? Because I know I was listening and I talk, I heard Victor Cruz talk about uh, Kenny Galloway. You know, he getting all his money just to just to um, just to get you know a few snaps here and there, and that's it. The you only thing, I, yeah, yeah, the only thing I will say, Lance, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess you'll agree with me. Whatever the coaching staff decided. They figured out that this was the best way to deploy their roster to win this particular game. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know why they picked those receivers to be part of this game plan and Galladay was only going to get two snaps. I'm not going to pretend to have that answer. Maybe Dable maybe will hint at something today when he has his media session later on. I don't think he will. I don't think they want to give away their philosophies and their strategies as to how they want to deploy personnel. Um, It's a mystery to me. I'll be honest with you. I don't don't know why Kenny Galladay would not fit one of your 17 game plans during the course of the regular season. But they obviously felt he did not. And so they followed their instincts and they won the game. So who am I to complain about it? But it's yeah, a mystery. It's a mystery. And Lance, I'm sure you would agree. I I can't think of why he would not have been part of the plan, but they didn't think so. Yeah, I can't necessarily think. I mean, other than perhaps the thought process is based on what they've seen on film with respect to the Carolina secondary that they wanted guys that were a little bit more shiftier and can make plays out in open space or the middle of the field as opposed to Galladay, who's more of a win-the-jump-ball battle royale. It's very possible because, yeah, I mean, okay. here's the thing. I'll here's buy that. Why, here's why I'm going down this road, Paul. You go to the Cleveland tape against the Panthers. What was their biggest issue? A lot of missed tackles, right? 18 yeah. missed tackles. So if you see that, you say, well, Galladay, no disrespect to Galladay, but Galladay's not a guy that, let's face it, he gets a catch and then he makes five guys miss, okay? So maybe the thought process was we want to employ personnel that can expose the Panthers to all those missed tackles, and those other wide receivers are better suited for that. And the reason why I don't buy Otis, and it's a fair question about did he practice badly, David Sills had 92% of the snaps that he played against the Panthers. The previous week, David Sills... In terms of his snap count, as I bring up the numbers from the previous week, let's see, Sills in week what number was it, was one. Was it 10%? I think he was like 45%. He had 27 snaps. So oh, 45%. Okay. okay, Galladay was much higher in that same game. He played 77% of the snaps, and then all of a sudden he has two. So are we to believe then David Sills practiced poorly? leading up to the Tennessee game, and that was the reason why he didn't get much playing time. All of a sudden, he has 10 times of a better practice, and then they just flipped the script. Hey, maybe there is some validity behind that. I'm just, I'm not buying that. I think it has more to do with the matchup with Carolina and Galladay, how he fits into that, more so than how he fit in to matching up against the Tennessee The person. elusiveness and speed equation would, would appear to hold some logic, except that I don't know that Sills is any faster or more elusive than Galladay is. No, no, I buy that, but I think he's a little bit more. I'll give Sills a little bit more credit, Paul, in that category. You're right, because Sills also has the size and the height, but I do see a little bit of a different skill set in what Sills can do versus Galladay. So I can maybe buy that thinking. I mean, other than that, they pretty much employed the same other wide receivers. To me, Sills and Galladay flip-flop. If you were to make the comparison between week one and week two. And then, of course, Tony was a little bit more involved. Richie James, who we didn't bring up, by the way. Here's another player. Paul, real quickly on a relevant note. Special teams guy in his career in San Francisco. Last two weeks, he's now all of a sudden had a bigger role as a wide receiver. And there's another example of they see a guy in training camp in the preseason making plays. And they give him an opportunity now in the regular season. And we talked about this. Richie James, we knew, could easily make the roster as a special teamer. Could he carve out a role as a wide receiver? 
We're talking about it. He's not just carving out a role, Paul. He's one of their top, most productive wide receivers in the first two weeks of the season. And the area where he does it is between the numbers. He is a guy who has found ways to get open over the middle, and he's not afraid to take a hit. And that's important, especially if you go over the middle as a wide receiver. And Otis, appreciate the phone call. Let's move on here at 201-939-4513. Marty is Manahawkin, and he joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Marty? Hey, how you doing, Lance? Hey, Paul, how are you? Hi. Doing all right. It's a breath of fresh air to see a defense now that goes out there and and takes it to the other team. Uh, It's it's night and day from what we had here uh, in the past with that uh, bend on break uh, BS. And uh, I'll tell you the truth, watching watching a game last night where one of our role coordinators was leading the defense, uh, it kind of you looked at it and it kind of showed you what that bend don't break defense gets you when you don't when you don't go after people. And uh, I'm just it, – it's starting to remind me of the old days when uh, you had those – our defenses were just, you know, everybody was afraid to face them. Well, they were absolutely aggressive down the stretch. You're Julian Love winning that battle right up the gut, getting the sack. Here's something, Paul, that actually I'm glad Marty brought up because we briefly talked about this on the postgame show yesterday. It seemed as if even on plays where Baker didn't – feel as if he was being pressured he was at least thinking about it and that sort of weighed on him from start to finish over the course of the game now granted Baker has familiarity with a Wink defense because they went up against each other when Wink was in Baltimore and Baker was in Cleveland but it just felt as if Baker was doing a lot of running over the course of the game and I give him credit he made some plays with his legs to turn nothing into something more often than not so this is not necessarily a criticism of Baker it's just it felt like Wink put a lot on his shoulders to weigh even when he may not have brought the house. And you could argue that took a toll on at least the mindset of the opposing quarterback. I'm going to add a third word to the uh, description of Wink's defenses. There's attack. There is confusion. There's also intimidation. And that's what you're talking about, Lance, because you have the quarterback and his offensive line and maybe even his receivers and running backs all thinking about at the line of scrimmage, what the hell is Wink going to do to us this time? And, you know, if they're not confused, at the very least, they're worried because they just don't know who, what, where, and when somebody's coming after them. They just know it that, oh, my God, it could happen. And even if he doesn't send the dogs on that play, he may have forced the quarterback to opt out and call an audible and short-circuit the the offensive game plan simply by the threat that he was going to do something funky to them. No, and I'm with you. I just personally, Paul, I think intimidating is just too strong of a word. And, And maybe I'm nitpicking. I'm completely with you. I look at it more of you get the quarterback thinking and maybe having second thoughts and third thoughts. I don't think, because intimidation to me is a synonymous with being scared. I'll I'll give you a better word. Trepidation. Fine, all right, trepidation. We're really expanding the vocabulary Wink is giving the offense trepidation. I think that's a good word. Okay, I'll I'll buy that. It's just, to me, it's it's the thinking game, the game of chess, where normally you want a quarterback, right, to go into a play having confidence and – saying, okay, I believe all the guys are on the same page. The offensive linemen know how to handle the blitz. We got this side covered, that side covered. I think when Baker was going up against Wink, and once again, he's getting in sync with these new offensive linemen. They're going through some growing pains. I think there may have been points at the game late where Baker was saying, all right, I don't know if the assignments are going to be crisp. Then I need to take matters into my own hands. So it wasn't that he was scared of Wink. It was just a matter of a lot of thinking is going on before the snap. That's you know, the way that I at least interpret it. Many years ago, Jason Seahorn once told me that when the Giants would play Mike Morantz's uh, offense with the Rams, and we all remember how explosive that, that Rams offense was, uh, Seahorn would say, you know, I, I've seen three or four game tapes in scouting them to prepare, and I did not see Mike Martz run exactly the same play twice. And we're talking about over a three- or four-game sample. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about now with Wink on defense. If you get the opposition 
to be so concerned with trepidation, thinking about, oh my God, what are they going to do? What are we looking at? What's what's the next play going to present? It it's it's an issue. And appreciate the phone call, Marty. Thanks so much for weighing in here with us on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you recapping the Giants' 1916 victory over the Panthers. They are off to a 2-0 start as they will now delve into divisional play as they'll go up against the Dallas Cowboys at home on Monday night in week number three. Before we get back to the phone calls, I don't know if you saw the story, Paul, which was interesting, that the Cowboys are now throwing out, and maybe there's some mind games that... Dak could be outside chance possible to return for this next game. I don't know if you saw that. That was dangled out there. That surgery went so well and rehab. And remember, you get the x-rays initially. You don't know how bad the injury is going to be. They're dangling it out there that maybe there's an outside shot that he actually can return against the Giants. Is this which the would... Twitterverse or some No, no, this was source. not the Twitterverse. No, this is from the mouths of the Cowboys. Jerry Jones has floated this out. <laughs> and oh, Dr. So, Jones. So it seems like Dr. Jerry Jones is at it again. Hey, Lance, uh, now he's physical therapist, Dr. Jerry Jones? Perhaps, you know, listen, he's the one that's been holding Dak's hand through the rehab process from what I've been told. So <laughs> All right, here it's we understandable. Go. Yeah. Stephen Jones, Cowboys CEO. Oh my goodness! So, so here's the thing. I Jerry, told you there was legitimacy. Right, hold, to this. hold on, hold this on. Wait, wait, wait. Here's the here's the quote. Okay, he's got a chance. Maybe the third or fourth game. We'll see what happens. Well, third or fourth game after the injury, or third or fourth game of the season. Uh third he or didn't fourth specify, game of no, of it's of the season. In context, yeah. it's of the season. Okay, so there you go. Okay, but this is game three. So when he says third or fourth game. Well, he's not necessarily promising he's going to face the Giants. So, so no, he's not was, promising, but that is the third game of the season, though, against the Giants. So what I think has happened, they've injected Dak with some type of serum to turn him into Wolverine, and that's how he's <laughs> been able to heal his hand so quickly. Is that pretty much what yeah. it is? Paul, do you have any idea what that reference is? Uh, you know, no, I think Lance is our <laughs> resident physician. So no, he, he would, he would nothing, have to give has, us that injury information. Well, I think he was referring to the Wolverine yes, yes, reference, was, Paul. Yes, that's yes, what he was correct. trying to get yes, you. Absolutely, yeah. yes. He was trying to see whether or not you've watched any Wolverine movies. The Avengers. Could pick it up. Well, Is he not a, one of the Avengers? X-Men. Close. Yeah. Oh, close. okay. In the same ballpark, but okay. slightly a Marvel. Different. They're Marvel. Yes. Both are Marvel, yes. yes. There yes. you go. Hey, You're I, in the same family. Closer. From that standpoint. You're nailing it, Paul. We're making headway on this program. It's amazing. We're, we're having our own growing pains that we're overcoming. But anyway, I just threw that out there because I know your reaction. You figure it was going to be somebody was speculating. This is coming from the mouths of Cowboys ownership. Stephen Jones, yes, I yes. see that. Well, he, I mean, he's the son of Jerry Jones, so that's ownership as far as yep. I'm concerned. Yep. I, just, I saw that this morning, and I said, hmm, that's interesting. So yeah. we'll monitor that. We'll probably be seeing what the practice report looks like once we get to a little bit later on the week. <laughs> because maybe, remember, everything's maybe. a day back this week. After, after they review the game films of yesterday's game and Cooper Rush's victory, maybe they won't want that to go back. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah I, yeah because you gotta think Love he's it. gonna guard he don't care about guarding he's gonna guard he's gonna exactly. guard like you see him in the olympics exactly. he's gonna guard and then on I'm top of that like that see that Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what so. I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because they ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, that's why it's interesting, the timing, because you're right. I mean, Cooper Rush got a big win over the Cincinnati Bengals. He was very efficient, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, absolutely. Well, listen, I threw out, he played the Vikings last season when Dak was sidelined, and he threw a go-ahead touchdown to Amari Cooper and also was pretty efficient in that game, too. And they had a very good defensive performance against the Bengals, which we talked about in the offseason was going to be a big part of the identity of the game. And I don't want to get too much into the Cowboys. I just, once again, I threw that out there only because it was interesting that that story emerged this morning as I was looking through some of the NFL headlines. Speaking of Dallas, here we go. 
a nice segue. Angelo is in Dallas, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Angelo? Nothing much, nothing much. And I can tell you now, there's a lot of insiders out here and stations out here that I won't name that do not believe what the Cowboys put out there when it comes to medical reports because they always put stuff out here that's not correct. Understandable, trying to, sure. You know, trying to dangle something out there, but I, I highly doubt it. And I would be more concerned about Micah, Micah Parsons than I am about Dak Prescott because I think he won the game for the Dallas Cowboys yesterday, nobody else. And I'm actually worried about that with our interior blocking because our interior blocking were kind of, um, you know, could be some help. <laughs> Uh, 100%. Well, and it goes beyond that. I mean, the Cowboys have Demarcus Lawrence. They have some guys on the back end, too, linebackers. Yeah, it's going to be a tough challenge, and it's going to be the next challenge that the Giants offensive line is going to have to answer. So, you know, once again, every single week you learn a little bit more about this team based on how Dallas's defense has performed. It'll be a new chapter. There's no doubt about it. Lance, I agree with you, too, in regards to KG. I think it's a lot of his matchups, which I think we talked about before, with KG being the long and 50-50 ball guy. But I think the league is kind of shifting toward the, the fast, shifty, twitchy type of receiver, open in space, which I think is the reason for them drafting Wanda Robinson. Um, Kadaris Tony getting more looks, I think, this week. I think he'll also get more opportunities next week. Because if you remember, there was an interview with Diggs in Dallas you know, he's he's more comfortable with a bigger receiver versus a more shifty receiver like Kadaris Tony, which did some damage to them last time they played him. So I think that we'll start seeing more of that, I think, um, as the season, season progresses, unless Kenny makes some big jump and, you know, gain some trust and more separation with the um, the defense. And the last thing is I want to see if you all agree with, is I really think, and I'm looking forward to, not the season looking good, but I'm more excited about, it seems like our coaching is getting more from the players and the talent that they actually have. And that's what I'm excited about because these aren't necessarily our coaches' players and our GM's players, but they're actually getting more from them than our last previous multiple coaching regimes. So I'm actually excited about that going into the future once they do get their own players that they're looking forward to. But the culture they're establishing now with winning, I think is a good trend and good start for when they do get their own players in. Well, I think that's a great point, and appreciate the phone call, Angelo. What you're pointing out is the fact that they're catering to the skill set of the players, which is always a great sign of coaching. You never want to say, okay, here's my scheme. You guys got to deal with it. And whether or not you're a good fit for it, we're going to move forward with this scheme. So you're seeing a lot of catering to what these guys do well and then avoiding or try to avoid what they don't do well. Now, in fairness, Paul, Yes, they have inherited a number of players, but I think Wink also got Joe Shane to help him bring in players that can help execute items of his scheme. For example, Jihad Ward, okay? That's no coincidence, and look at the job he did against Tennessee in helping stop the run. Tony Jefferson, we're now probably going to see more and more of him. So there are a little snippets. And not if Belton does so well. (laughs) Well, but I do think Jefferson will have a role of some sort. I mean, heck, even if it's in the classroom. Paul, yeah. to help these guys no, that's fair. better digest the season. He's already scheme. had two of his three practice squad activations, though, so they're going to run out of time on, on him uh, sooner or later. They'll have to make a decision. Sure, but I think that, to me, was a way to also help ease in what the caller was pointing out, that Wink has an extension of players that have been in the system. And then on the flip side, you have a lot of former Buffalo Bills so when they were implementing Dable and also what Kafka is doing, you at least have some centerpiece to that. So that, I think, helped overcome you were transitioning a lot of players into your system. And those guys, to me, are an extension of the coaching staff. My major disagreement with our caller, and I know he's already gone, is I totally disagree with him that the Giants are finding a way to get more out of these players than what their talent is. I could not disagree with that more. I think what they're finding is that they're developing the younger players to get the potential out of them. Uh, I think there's a big difference than saying they're getting more out of these guys than what they are. That, That couldn't be further from the truth. I think you have young players here like a Neal, like a Thomas, like a Zimenez, like a Julian Love, like a McKinney. These are all younger players. David Sills is a younger player, for God's sakes. Yep. Okay. And what we're finding is these guys are developing and helping these young players grow, and they're helping these young players get better. Do not for one second tell me that they're getting more out of these players than what they're worth. I refuse to believe that. 
No, and I would agree with you there, Paul. Also, a number of the players that you mentioned weren't even on the roster last season. I mean, Evan Neal's brand new, so there's no means of comparison. McKinney was a borderline pro bowler last season. So clearly, Patrick Graham was getting to tap into his skill set. I don't think McKinney is now 10 times a better player than he was last season. So there would be an example. We saw flashes from Julian Love in previous years. Uh, Dory was the complimentary piece to James Bradbury last season. Maybe you could say there's a little bit more on the shoulders of a Dory because he's the most experienced corner. I'll give you that. But yeah, I don't know through two games, I would say guys who were deep on the depth chart are now Pro Bowl S players. I mean, as good as O'Shane Zimenez has been, he hadn't been on the field much as a means of comparison, Paul, right? To say that they're going above and beyond in terms of what they're getting out of him right now. Yeah, I you know I just uh, I think I think the arrow is up and the best is yet to come for these guys, and I would not at all, with not in any way, shape, or form, say that the Giants are overachieving. I I don't see that. I I see their play on the field getting better and moving in the right direction. Uh, so I you know because if you believe that they're overachieving, then you think you've already seen about the best they're going to give you, and I don't think that's the case with this team at all. I also would not throw in overachieving when you have produced 21 points and 19 points respectively, and your kicker has done a lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> Remember, they're not that far removed from how many points they averaged last That's season. That's true. Okay? No doubt. So overachieving should absolutely not be in that same sentence. Yeah, that, was, that's, 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 that word is disqualified from this show. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, you certainly don't hear me bringing it up. And That's I'm not saying sure. that you were going down that road, but yeah, I, I mean, I didn't even take that from the caller. I think that may be taking it a little too far. I think it was more, I get your point, and I'm completely with you. To say that guys are going to new stratospheres through two games, yeah, that's a little too strong. But my point was, Paul, I do think they're catering to what these guys do effectively and not putting them in a position where you're asking them to play completely outside the box and expecting them to wow you. That, well, I think, is a fair takeaway over the first The good news is that these coaches showed some belief, and they took the first step. You know, it's a chicken-and-the-egg concept, Lance, with, with, with some staffs. Uh, a staff like this shows confidence and shows trust in guys, and they need to get it back, okay? They need the players to justify that trust, justify the belief in them, justify the confidence in them. And through the two games that we have seen as this coaching staff, and obviously the front office too because they, they compiled the guys on this roster, or at least over half of them, what we're seeing is the players through two weeks have justified some of that belief and confidence and trust. And, and that's why it's a chicken and the egg thing. You know, you, you, you could sit there all you want and say, well, who's going to make the first step? Does the player have to show he can do it before the coach believes in him? And quite honestly, that's the way Tom Coughlin was, okay? Tom Coughlin was really not a big fan of playing younger, inexperienced players. He used to say, earn it at practice, show me something at practice, then we're going to kind of sprinkle you into game action, and then if you earn it there – then you'll get some more as you get older and you have more experience. Tom was kind of the reverse. You had to show the chicken before the egg. This administration and this coaching staff went with the egg first, and, and they put the ball in the players' hands, like with Daniel Jones and like with Saquon Barkley, and said, okay, we believe, we trust, go ahead and do it. And so far, the players are doing it. Well, I think part of that is also a lot of these guys, too, for the sake of the future of the roster, you know, they're being put under the microscope. I would argue, Paul, to your point, I don't think they have as much leeway as Coughlin in saying we're definitely going to move forward with these guys. I guess my point is the clock is ticking with some of them because of how their contracts are structured, and you're a new regime where – you need to get some grips of a decision whether or not you want to move forward with these guys. So you've got to test the waters, I would say, sooner rather than later 
as opposed to when Tom was the coach, even though, granted, early in his career, he was feeling the pressure about getting a better record and so forth. I don't know. I just feel like it was a little bit different in terms of the thinking. You're where saying, Tom had a little bit more leeway and patience compared to yeah. what Brian Dable and Joe Shane are working And with. I do think it's accurate to say that in some particular instances, like with Barkley and with Jones, this staff doesn't have much choice, right? Exactly. That's what you're saying. They're, they're kind of in a position where 100%. they got to throw these guys into the deep end of the pool, and they need to see whether or not they can do it. And I think yep. that's fair in a couple of instances, but it's certainly uh, not the case with, with a bunch of other players here well, of who, course. Have, who have they, they have just said, we have faith in you. Well, but also some of those players, they were responsible for bringing in. So, right, so you don't necessarily maybe have to – put them under the microscope as much as the guys you're inheriting. That's where I'm going with that. For example, Evan Neal, you're throwing Evan Neal into the deep end of the pool. You drafted Evan Neal. So (laughs) you know you're not moving on from Evan Neal, right? I mean, you don't really – that doesn't mean that Evan Neal can go through a stretch where he struggles and you're not going to coach him up or make a statement. It's just that you believe, based on drafting him, Evan Neal is part of your future. Some of these other guys, the jury is, of course, still out. So – That's at least, to me, the biggest difference between maybe some of the previous coaching staffs versus what's going on here. That is going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody tuning in. We'll be back up and running again on Tuesday at 12.30 p.m. as we start to also look ahead to the first divisional game for the Giants as they will host the Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football in week number three. A reminder, today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we will speak to you on Tuesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.